My wife's favorite Bible verse is Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. And she has an incredible work ethic. You know, our life comes down to our words and our deeds. They speak volumes, both of them, the power of the tongue and the power of our actions. We're going to look at that today in Colossians 3 on Walk in Truth. You're listening to the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now, here's Pastor Michael. I think it should be obvious, but I'll say it just for the sake of the message. And it's this, what you say and do defines you. That should be obvious, right? What we say and do ends up defining us. Here's the verse that we looked at in a previous message. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do in word or deed, take a look with me, Colossians 3.17, whatever you do, I know that, you know, whatever is kind of like a, you know, a phrase that some people use today, whatever, whatever. Does that annoy you like it annoys me? But anyway, but this is a different kind of whatever. It's whatever you do, which is a pretty sweeping statement, right? It's not just, you know, how long you sit in church that this applies. It's not about having the right lingo and the right behavior when you walk in the walls of the church. It's whatever you do. Whatever you do in word, here's our message, or deed, which is your speech and your actions, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So Christians have a mission field everywhere. The early church went on the highways and byways, and they went out preaching the good news of the gospel. And all of us, I think, are looking for ways that we can have entrees into sharing our faith. And in the U.S., it's becoming more and more difficult because people tend to be closed in many respects to the gospel. And we have to find ways to open doors for communication. And one of the great ways that you can open doors to share the good news with others is your life. Your life is a testimony written not with ink, but by the spirit of the living God. Paul said, you are our letter. You are the ones that have been transformed by the living God. And that is how you make a difference. Now, all of us, when we hear stuff like this, we're all saying, man, I, I want to do that, but I need some help. Well, we've got it in the Bible. We've got some foundations here. I want to just point out to you, encourage you to mark these as for the, really for all of our lives. Number one is in verse 10. It says, put on the new self, Colossians 3.10, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. We've got to put on the new self. Now, in one sense, we have already put on the new self. In another sense, we have to do that every single day. And the analogy that we looked at in previous messages is that the, the new self is kind of painted like clothing that we put on. Look at verse 12. It links to verse 10. And so as those who have been chosen of God, you are God's chosen people, holy and beloved, that's what you are, put on, here's the language of clothing, a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. These are attributes that the world doesn't always see. So when they see them in you, it will give you an opportunity. 
Bear with one another. Forgive each other. Verse 13. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, here's the analogy again, metaphor of clothing, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So the first plank or foundation, if you're going to be effective in words and deeds, is to put on the new self. And the metaphor is like putting on the armor of God. It's the same as being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the same as letting the word of Christ richly dwell in you. It's the things of God permeating your life in such a way that they start to come out. They start to flow out like rivers of living water. The second plank is in verse 15. I'm going to give you like four foundations that you can be effective. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, verse 15. We looked at that in a previous message. That word peace in the Hebrew form, the Greek word is irene, the Hebrew form is shalom. And it says, let shalom, if you will, rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called. I told you that the Greek word here has the idea of let it make the call. Let it be the umpire. Let the peace of Christ rule on the 91 freeway. Let it rule in the office meeting on Monday morning when you haven't had enough coffee, right? Everywhere in your life, let shalom win the day. Let it rule. Let the peace of Christ, it's not your peace, it's his. My peace I give to you, says Jesus, not as the world gives. Do I give it to you? Jesus promises through uh, the pen of the Apostle Paul that we'll have a peace that what? Passes understanding. Don't try to figure it out. Just receive it. It passes understanding, amen? And you will start to draw people to yourself when you have a peace that is supernatural, the peace of Christ. Look at the third plank or foundation. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. The peace of Christ and the word of Christ with all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts. So you have put on the new man, the peace of Christ ruling, the word of Christ richly dwelling, going down deep as we uh, prayed about at the beginning. And then I said that there was a theme here about being thankful. Look at verse uh, 15. End of verse 15 says, be thankful. End of verse 16 says, singing with thankfulness in your hearts. Uh, end of verse 17, or it says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. End of 17, giving what? Thanks through him to God the Father. These are all things that set you apart. Being a person of peace, being a person whose uh, God's word is richly dwelling in you, being a thankful person. Thankful people are quite unique, amen? amen. When you get around a thankful person, you want to know more. What makes you tick? What makes you the way that you are in these situations? And you have a chance to share your faith. Now, we took this right into the home. In verse 18, wives were addressed. In verse 19, husbands. In verse 20, children. Fathers or parents were addressed in verse 21. So we went right into the house. And I said, if your faith doesn't work at home, then you better take another look at the whole foundation of your walk. If you can call your wife honey, but treat her like vinegar, then there's something wrong. Now, I'm not talking about that you're going to have moments where you're cranky. We all get cranky, right? We, we all have our moments. Man, I, I heard a witness out there, yeah. 
We can get cranky, but hopefully the overarching theme of your life is not Mr. and Mrs. Crank E. That should not be how you are known as a believer. Wow. You know? You're, you're prickly when people are around you. They get a little too close and ow! That's not what you want to be as a witness for Christ. And so as we look at these different categories, we're going to move into verse 22, slaves. And, you know, you, if you've heard this taught before, and there's a parallel text in Ephesians 6, a lot of pastors and commentators, and I think rightly so, have said, the modern parallel to this passage is employees. You could say employees in verse 22 and employers in chapter 4, verse 1, will be addressed. But in the ancient world, there was a lot of servitude, a lot of slavery that did go on. And I think it's something like one-third to one-half of Roman citizens were in some form of servitude. Uh, some, in some cases, indentured servitude, and in some cases, it was a means of survival. Some people did it because they had to pay back uh, debt. And some people did it because it was just kind of their lot in life. And so what happened in the ancient world is that outside of our idea of a nuclear family, you have a mom and dad and some kids and a dog and they live in a house. In the ancient world, it wasn't necessarily like that. Sometimes what happened is when you had older sons and daughters, they lived with you and sometimes their spouses moved in with you as well. And all God's people said, I'm glad I don't live back in. <laughs> But what they would often do is they would add a room to the home and a household, the head of the house would literally be one who oversaw everything. You could include the nuclear family, servants and everything. And it could even be uh, the children with their spouses. And sometimes they had farms or they had, you know, a whole thing going on. It was a big group of people that needed this kind of uh, encouragement and of course, when you see the word slaves here, you, you wonder, well, does the Bible endorse slavery? And the answer to that question is no, it does not. Paul, and what he writes here, he's going to write to masters as well. And what he's going to say is he's trying to address the reality of the day. In fact, uh, ancient writers, to my knowledge, outside of Seneca, who was a Roman, didn't even address slaves. So for slaves to get some thing penned to them is quite significant. And masters will be addressed as well. And this tells us something else, that when this letter was written and then read to congregations, there would be servants in these congregations and there would be masters in these congregations and they would need to be addressed as well. And so, uh, let me just read a little bit from Douglas Moo. He says, uh, let's go back. He says, the ancient household was often far larger than our typical modern family. He says, it is true that ancient slavery differed in some important ways from the slavery practices, for instance, in 19th century America. But it is also true that ancient and modern slavery in its various forms has in common the basic fact that one human owns and has virtually ultimate control over another. Some forms of employment in the ancient world and in, in history comes close to the situation. And he mentions indentured servitude. But most employees do, work, do not work in this kind of legally binding framework. It is also true that Paul's advice to slaves here enunciates some basic principles about how Christians should serve someone else, 
that are broadly applicable. So in other words, you could put this into a modern framework of being an employee, but you don't belong to your employer. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment, but first... Time can really get away from you. The day-to-day hustle can sometimes leave little time for the more important things in life, like Bible study. Remember that Pastor Michael's teachings can be heard at any time, day or night, on walkintruth.com. You don't have to worry that you have to get out of the car right now, because today's teaching is already online, ready for you to listen when it's most convenient for you. Visit walkintruth.com today to hear all of Pastor Michael Lance's teachings to date. That's walkintruth.com. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. He says, It is true that ancient slavery differed in some important ways from the slavery practices, for instance, in 19th century America. But it is also true that ancient and modern slavery in its various forms has in common the basic fact that one human owns and has virtually ultimate control over another. Some forms of employment in the ancient world and in, in history comes close to this situation. And he mentions indentured servitude. But most employees do, work, do not work in this kind of legally binding framework. It is also true that Paul's advice to slaves here enunciates some basic principles about how Christians should serve someone else that are broadly applicable. So in other words, you could put this into a modern framework of being an employee, but you don't belong to your employer. You may have to obey that person for eight hours a day or whatever, but they don't have the kind of ownership in your life that... um, a modern employer would have or an ancient slave owner would have. So there is a difference, but there is an application here because what we do is we have relationships that we get involved with where someone has authority over us. And so how do we treat that person? What does your employer today think of your work ethic, for example? After hiring you, would they say, I want to hire more Christians from Living Truth Christian Fellowship? <laughs> Hopefully, Right? But I know if I interviewed a lot of you and I said to you, when you were trying to find someone to work on a, you know aspect of your house and they had the little fishy on their advertisement, and did that always guarantee that you would get top-notch service? I'm sure some of you would say, uh, no. Now, some of us have had great experiences with people in business who are Christians, but others of us have not. And so... One writer says the New Testament does not condemn slavery or condone slavery because its focus is not on the condition of government or society, but on the condition of the heart. In another place in the New Testament, Paul will say, if you can be free, be free. But if you're in a situation where you are a servant, then be the best that you can be. Of course, this assumes that masters are going to do the right thing and those who are in charge of people are going to do the right thing. And I'll say this to you, and I think we all know this, that when people are given an authoritative position over another human being, it really is a test of their integrity and moral character because power can corrupt people. Amen? And if you have a responsibility over a group of people, you can start to throw around your power and all of a sudden lose Christ's heart. John MacArthur writes, although slavery is not uniformly condemned in either the Old or New Testaments, the sincere application of New Testament truths has repeatedly led 
to the elimination of its abusive tendencies. Where Christ's love is lived in the power of his spirit, unjust barriers and relationships are inevitably broken down. As the Roman Empire disintegrated and eventually collapsed, the brutal abuse system of slavery collapsed with it, due in great measure to the influence of Christianity. In more recent times, the back of the black slave trade was broken in Europe and America, due largely to the powerful, spirit-led preaching of such men as John Wesley, George Whitfield, and the godly statesmanship of such men as William Wilberforce and William Pitt. Christianity says we are to put on love, right? And when you put on love, you can't abuse people. That is not what this is about. Christ said, I did not come to be served, but to what? Serve and give my life as a ransom for many. So when the Christian gospel is lived out in a society, these walls come down. These chains are broken. And there are people today that are experiencing modern slavery. We know we have an epidemic right now of the sex slave trade, where there are people in other countries, people who are impoverished and don't have a way to make an income and desperate, and they are often sold into the sex slave trade. And it is a terrible blight in our world. By the way, it's happening right here in the United States as well, where people are being abused and their stories are coming out more and more as ministry is now moving in that direction to help people in those situations. So over a lifespan, if we apply this to being a modern employee, the average worker will spend about 77,000 hours on the job. 77,000 hours. Think about it. If you are a person who works, let's say, 40 to 50 hours a week at your job, you spend a lot of time with those people, right? And that job often becomes one of your main mission fields. And even though you may not have a business card that says you're in professional ministry, whatever that is, we need you to be a Christian wherever you are. If this city is going to experience revival, if you're a nurse or a doctor or you're a construction worker or you're a police officer or whatever you do, you're going to have opportunities to reach people that I can never reach. And it's going to be your witness in the world that truly makes the difference. 50% of Americans will procrastinate at work and do absolutely nothing one full day in every five. That's from the day America told the truth. <laughs> one day in five. Hmm. And so we have a witness. And when we are at work, we have an opportunity to make a difference. Skip down to verse 23. Oh, go, go back to 22 for a second. Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Here's the idea. Don't just try to look like you're working when the boss comes by. You're playing your little game, right? And the boss comes by, and then you try to look like you're working. That is not a glorious witness. Amen. <laughs> and all the dogs in the house said, Woof! Anyway. <laughs> so there you go. You know, sometimes bosses, they may know a little bit more than you think they know. So you walk by a desk, and uh, somebody's trying to look busy, 
You know, during the NCAA tournament, for you, those of you who are basketball fans, they have, an, they have a screen that you can download for your computer that makes it look like you're working, but you're actually following the games. Can I get a witness? <laughs> I remember some years ago, I was doing grunt work for a printing company, and the boss of the company was pretty well-to-do. And so one day they said, oh, the things are a little slow in the printing plant, so we're going to load wood at the boss's house, right? It was playoff time for Major League Baseball. And so I'm doing grunt work and unloading wood out of the car at this guy's additional home up in the mountains. And I peeked into the living room and he had the ball game on. I was like, that, that rascal, this is just wrong. I'm unloading wood while he's, and why is he unloading the wood? Why am I doing that? And my witness for Christ was glorious that day. <laughs> Whatever we do, we're supposed to work hard not just when people are watching because the Lord is always watching. The Lord knows when you're playing a game, right? If we ultimately have a master in heaven, we want to do our work as unto him. And so that's where verse 23 says, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. NIV says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. The Greek word there is suke, often translated soul, as working for the Lord, not for men. In verse 22, the word for heart is cardia. In verse 23, it's suke. And sometimes you have heard that uh, an employee will be the heart and soul of a company. Or somebody might say, man, that person does their job with their heart and soul poured into it. That's what we're talking about here. When you do your work, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. If you're mowing the, Lord, the lawn, not the Lord, mowing the, the lawn, do it for the Lord, not grumbling. If you're washing a dish, do it as unto the Lord. I'm trying to get this point across in my own household to the younger up-and-comers. Do it as unto the Lord. I remember some years ago, I was at a men's breakfast at I think it started at 6 a.m. many years ago. Uh, an hour, I, I don't understand uh, Bible study starting at 6 a.m. Some of you understand that, I don't. But anyway, I was washing dishes with a friend of mine and there was this old pan in a church that had been around for 100 years. The pan looked like it needed to become a burnt offering. I mean, it, was, it had been used, there was stuff caked on this thing. And my friend, who was a pretty successful guy, it was early in the morning, he kept washing this thing for like 10 minutes. And I'm like, let's move on. I got things to do, people to see, places to go. He goes, this thing is going to be as clean as it's ever been. He was just doing it as unto the Lord. And when you see someone live their life that way, man, it makes a difference. You say, well, why should I do that? You know, some jobs just are not my cup of tea. I, there's some things I just don't feel like doing. Well, join the club. <laughs> I wish life was just things that I felt like doing. But we don't live our lives on feelings as Christians, right? We're trying to do the right thing by the power of the Spirit. Here's one reason that you should be motivated. You should know, look at verse 24, that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. By the way, slaves had no hope of inheritance in the ancient world. They had nothing. 
But they're told here, servants are told here, that when you do the right thing, you're going to receive a reward from the Lord. All of us as Christians, we talk about, man, when I go to heaven, the one thing I want to hear is, can I hear it? Well done, good and faithful servant. And you know what we think of? We think of uh, how often I read my Bible, how many people I witnessed to, and, uh, you know, how I did with spiritual things like church service and that kind of thing. But do you know that the Bible's application of well done is much wider than that? In fact, it has to do with how you worked and your witness in the world and your integrity. The well done, good and faithful servant is going to be much broader because your whole life is really about ministry. Your whole life is really about being a witness. Well, this is a good time to pause and ask yourself just a very simple question. How am I living today? Are you walking out your faith each day unto the Lord, just asking him for power, perspective, opportunities? Or is your service simply a Sunday morning church attender when you can make it? This is a question we have to ask ourselves. You know, being in fellowship is very important. And I want to encourage you to do just that. Go to services, go to Bible studies. If you want, and you're in Southern California, we would love for you to visit the fellowship where I serve as pastor, and that is Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona. Do you live anywhere near the area? Come and visit. We've had some radio listeners come and fellowship with us from different parts of the state and even out of state. It's a great blessing. So if you're in the neighborhood, check it out at Living Truth Corona. Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona in Southern California. Well, again, thanks for listening to the teaching. Be sure to tune in tomorrow on this station as you'll get more on words and deeds. We'll catch you then. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.